Hey, what's going on? Good morning, Victory Church. Good morning. My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And as Zenobia said, if you're visiting, we want to say welcome. We hope you'll connect with us so that we can then reach out to you and do our best in getting you involved. So many great things happening from dream team to small groups to outreach opportunities. Just so many great things happening. I do want to take a moment. And I want to always like to share what we're able to do because of your faithfulness. And so every month, uh, there are people that are, uh, that are being faithful in their ties. There are people that are giving towards victory. And obviously, we get to do great stuff like what we're doing today and all of the, the festivities of a series like At the Movies. But we're always trying to do stuff outside of the four walls of Victory Church. That's one of our main focuses, one of our four Gs, is to go, to go and make a difference. And so this month of August, we are kind of focusing on our students and our school systems and doing all that we can in giving back in that arena. And so every Sunday of this series, I'm going to show you something that we're able to do because of your faithfulness. And so uh, this week, I want to talk real quick. Zoe mentioned this last week, but I had a few pictures I wanted to show you, wanted to kind of reiterate what we did. Last Saturday, we were at something called the Southeast Community Day. And what's really cool is the community buys, I think it's a thousand backpacks, and they the community out and they can come and the kids can get free backpacks and then you have all these vendors kind of in a big circle and the kids go around to each vendor and they get school supplies and so the, the goal would be that they'd be able to get free school, school supplies to fill their backpack and at the end of the day these kids go home with a backpack and school supplies and because of your faithfulness we were able to hand out rulers. That's what we were given. And so we gave rulers to every kid, every family, even as parents came by and said, hey, I have cousins at home and we need, you know, and one of my favorite parts, I think there's one of these kids right here, they said, uh, they walked up to the table and they said, are these free? And it was so cool to be able to say, yes, they are. Take one, take, take three. We gave out every ruler to the point that we gave them out, and then we had to pack up and leave because we didn't have anything else to give. So we'll be able to give even more next year. And so again, to be able to say stuff like that, it's because of your faithfulness. Because you guys give every month to what's happening here at Victory that we can go and do that. One of the things that we take pride in is that we don't get up here and say, hey, we're going to do this. We need to take up money to do it. We're able to say, because of your faithfulness already, we've done it. And so you guys didn't even know it, but last Saturday, kids were getting free school supplies because of your faithfulness. So first of all, let's give it up. Come on, Victory Church, your faithfulness. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you do. Uh, if you'd like to give, you continue to give. We will continue to be involved in our community and do all that we can to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. Uh, we'd like to welcome you. This is, you are officially here for what we consider one of our favorite series of the year, At the Movies. Are you excited? Um, let me start off by saying this. We do not condone every movie that we use in this series. I don't want you to leave out of here going, Pastor Troy tells me that our family should sit down and watch this movie. Uh, it's not necessarily what I'm saying. Uh, we certainly try to, try to, you know, be careful what we pick. But sometimes the gospel is in some of the most secular movies, okay? Uh, I want you to understand that everything that happens in our culture, especially entertainment, is founded on the gospel. Christ is in us, and so it's in us that comes out in a director. It comes out in an actor. And when we use these movies and we point it back towards the Bible, we can see things that are eye-opening for us. And so my hope is that after this series, you won't be able to see these movies again without thinking about Jesus Christ and without thinking about the gospel. And so 
you know, let's get to it. Do me a favor. Go ahead and open up your popcorn. If you got Cokes, go ahead and pop your Cokes now. Let's hear it. Pop them open. I don't want you doing that while I'm preaching. All right? I don't want any distractions. So get it ready. And uh, last but not least, are we ready? Part one at the movies. Yeah, come on. That is the movie King Richard. King Richard is, again, based on the life of the incredible tennis stars Venus and Serena Williams. And the reason I picked this movie is because from the very beginning, what you understand is that the foundation of this movie is a father who sees greatness in his children long before they can see it. Long before they've done anything to be great, long before they've ever done anything to show that they're going to be not only the best tennis players in the world, but the best athletes in the world, their father was already prophesying it, already seeing it. And as you watch through the movie, you see it. You see the affirmation of the father all throughout the movie that, again, whether they're babies, whether they're students, young people, as they get older, whether people are against them or for them, the father always comes back to the fact of who they are and how great they are. Many of us in our life have, re- have experienced a religious culture that tells us that we must do something to be approved by God. We were just raised in this culture that makes us believe the better we are, then the more God loves us. The better we are, the better we do, then the more God approves of us. In fact, sometimes it's easier to believe that God loves us than it is to believe that he actually approves of us. You know, this just generic love. We hear all the time, God loves us, God loves us. And we kind of think this whole concept of like, God loves me because he has to. Or God loves me even though I don't perform. And so it kind of gets into this mindset of it's easier to think he loves us than it is to believe that he actually approves of us. And we begin to fight feelings of inadequacy and insufficiency and competence, making us wonder whether we really measure up. We find ourselves fearing that, you know, maybe we're just not enough. I have two girls a seven-year-old and a preteen, and if you are a parent of a preteen or a teenager, then you understand what I understand, that majority of our job as parents is to just get our children to like us, right? We're in that weird season where they, they, you know, you're not quite sure if they enjoy being around you or not. Uh, they don't, certainly don't show it on the exterior. And about a month ago or so, my wife was out of town, and my youngest was with their grandparents. And so me and my preteen, she's 12 years old, we got to spend the day together. And we don't, we don't get a lot of that because of our schedules. And so I had to run some errands, so I took her with me, and we went to the Franklin area. And so we were together for hours. Now, here was my secret weapon. She was, all of her friends were really into this show called Stranger Things. Y'all familiar with this show? A uh, few of you know what I'm talking about. And, and so all of her friends had seen it, and we had not let her watch it up to this point. And so I had seen it. And so she's asking me all these questions about the show because she basically wants to be able to, you know, conversate with her friends about it. So she's asking me all these questions. I mean, all the way from our house to Franklin, we ran all of our errands all the way back home. She never stopped asking me questions about this show. At one point, we were in a store, and there was a gentleman standing beside me, and she's just running her mouth asking me all these questions. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I just looked up, and I was like, You know, it is what it is, you know what I mean? So we get home, and I've now answered all the questions. She feels fully educated on the show Stranger Things. And at this moment, y'all, I made a mistake of thinking that me and my preteen were friends. 
I, I had made that mistake. I thought maybe we liked each other. You know what I mean? And so I'm walking into the kitchen where she's sitting, and there's another show I want to talk to her about. It's not Stranger Things, but it's something I had watched that I just, you know, again, we're friends. So you've asked, now I'm going to talk. And I walk in and I start talking. I don't get four or five words into my story. And she looks right at me and she goes, I don't care. <laughs> it's a miracle I'm not in prison right now. You know what I mean? But I, it, I, it was at that moment that I realized, y'all, that I thought my child preferred me. When in reality, she was just putting up with me. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I want. She got what she needed. Daddy didn't, ma- Daddy didn't matter anymore. And so I was learning that process, and it made me think, how many of us wonder if God prefers us or if he's just putting up with us? You know what I mean? Like, I understand that God loves me, but does God like me? <laughs> and I want to talk to you just for a moment this morning, everybody who, who has ever asked themselves this question. What does God see in me? One of the things that you see all throughout the movie, again, is the affirmation of their father. Like, I love how he said that. Here they are. They're just a couple of young girls playing in Compton, and he says, they're going to shake up this world. You'll hear him say things like, I'm in the champion raising business. You'll hear him say things. You even saw it in the trailer where he said, I had a 78-page plan for them before they were even born. Showing you that as a father, his, his mission was to affirm his children long before they had ever done anything to help suggest that they deserve the affirmation. In our culture today, we're often taught that what we do determines who we are. That's how we kind of come to define who we are based off of what we do. But God established who we are long before we ever did anything. According to scripture, God defined you as his child long before you were ever good, long before you ever came to church, long before you ever read a Bible or said a prayer, long before you ever did anything, God defined who you are. And if we're not careful, listen, we will identify ourselves either by our lowest moment or our greatest achievement. And both are dangerous. Because if there's ever a point where we think we deserve God's grace, then there will be a moment where we think that we don't. And so while we can't define ourselves by our lowest moment, we also can't define ourselves by our greatest achievement. We have to define ourselves by who our father said we were. He had a 78-page plan for you before you were born. He knew how many hairs were on your head. He had already put purpose in your life. He died for you. He did all of these things long before you ever did anything. And so in order for us to understand who we're capable of becoming, we have to start with understanding who God says we are right now. So in Matthew chapter 3, I want to show you a quick scripture today. Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is getting ready to start his ministry He's gone about 30 years in preparation, and he'll do about three and a half years of ministry of miracles, sharing the gospel and such, hanging out with the disciples. And before he's going to do that, the Holy Spirit, God is going to send him to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In that process, while he's tempted, he'll be able to say in Scripture that he's faced everything that you and I have faced. But before he goes into that wilderness to be tempted, he has on his schedule a baptism meeting with John the Baptist. And it's recorded in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Watch what it says. 
It says as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. So they put him under the water, and they brought him up out of the water. And at the moment he came out of the water, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending on him in the form of a dove. And a voice from heaven said something. And watch what it said. God spoke over him and said, this is my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. What makes this so great is this is before Jesus has ever done a miracle. It's one thing if God was to say this after Jesus spent three and a half years doing miracles and then dying on a cross and then resurrecting. If God then stepped back and said, oh, this is my son. Look what he did. I love him and I'm well pleased with him. He did it before he did any of that. Before he ever did anything, God affirmed him. One of the most important revelations that you and I can get from the word of God is who we are to God. Once we recognize who we are to him, that's what scripture, can I tell you something? The Bible is not a book of rules. It's a love letter. The Bible was written so that you would understand how God feels about you, not after you performed, but before you ever did anything. When we really understand how God sees us, when we understand that he sees us as his children, who he loves, and with whom he is well pleased, it changes the way that you and I think, and it changes the way that we live. There's a book out there called The Five Love Languages. Are y'all familiar with this book? It's used often for marriage, and the concept of the book is that you and I have a primary and a secondary way of showing love, that it's just naturally the way that we show love. Some of us do it through, through gifts, you know, through, through giving gifts. Some of us do it through words of affirmation. Some of us do it through acts of service. And the, 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 the concept of the book says that whatever your way of receiving is often your way of giving. And so uh, Darla, for example, my wife, her primary is words of affirmation. She loves to be told that she's loved. So any of y'all feel free to go tell her you love her. She lear- loves words of affirmation. We, we're pretty sure, we, we're pretty confident that mine is, is acts of service, not, not the giving of gifts. I don't, I don't necessarily give gifts because I'm cheap, but, but I like acts of service. I'd like to mow your grass or help you paint your house or help you move. Like It's just a way that I show love. And so naturally, it's kind of the way that we receive it. She shows words affirmation. And we had this conversation early in our marriage that I needed to get better at showing affirmation. Men, going to get an amen on that? Like, you know, you got to get better at it? Now, you would think a guy who makes a living speaking would be good with words. But for some reason, I'm just not. Like, I'm just, I'm just not good at it. And so we've had conversations before where she's like, I need, I need you to show me that you love me. And I'm like, show you that I love you? First of all, I married you. No, ladies, that's not good enough. Don't leave the church yet. I'm joking. Hold on. I'm like, look, I, 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 I mow the grass. I don't mow the grass. We don't have to mow our grass, but I used to. Uh, I, you know, I do the laundry. I do the dishes. You know, I, I'll clean the house. Like, I'm doing things to show you that I love you. And here's what she told me. I thought this was interesting. She said, I know that you love me, Troy. She said, but sometimes I need to hear it. I, I know that you love me, but sometimes I need to Hear it. I I felt the Spirit of God give me a revelation this week. Jesus knew the Word of God. He was the Word of God, but he still needed to hear it. He knew that God loved him. He, He is literally the walking Word of God. The Bible says, for he was the Word, the Word became flesh. So he knows that God loves him, but even Jesus needs to hear it. 
And if Jesus needs to hear it, you need to hear it. I think it's so cool, watch this, that God doesn't assume that Jesus was aware of how much he loved him. Even though Jesus had been with him in heaven, had come down in human form, and would soon return, God never assumed that Jesus knew how much he loved him. So he showed him in three ways. He showed him in adoration, or you could say affection. Showed him in approval and acceptance. And listen to me. God does not assume that you know how much he loves you. So all throughout scripture, he shows you in three ways. His affection, his approval, and his acceptance. I was thinking through this. I could literally take you through Genesis to Revelation and show you, but I thought I would just pick the most popular Bible verse, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever may believe in him may have eternal life, right? Look, and just in that verse, you see those three things. You see approval. He gave his only son. You see affection, for he loved the world. And you see acceptance for whosoever believes in him. Every time you see, every time you go through the Bible and you start to see what God says about you, you're going to find affection, you're going to find acceptance, and you're going to find approval. And it has nothing to do with what you do. It has everything to do with who you are, a child of God. Now, here's the problem. When we start studying scripture like that, when we start believing that God views us that way, what we're going to do is we're going to open the door and let God in. And any time we let God in, we start to fear that we might let God down. That's my favorite line in the movie. To have this daughter, can't get too emotional now, we're not at the end yet. Um, to have this daughter talking to her father and to say, I don't want to let you down. And I think that response is the absolute best response that a father could ever give to their child who is in fear of letting them down. And the first time I saw this movie, I thought that's the way the Heavenly Father talks to us when we're afraid that we're going to let him down. How could you, Junior? How could you? When we are under the impression that what we do determines who we are, then we'll also be under the impression that we can let God down. And when we think we can let God down, we will actually find ourselves in a place where we are constantly trying harder. You know, every generation has their own words. You know what I mean? Like there's like these, these, these words that kind of come out in certain generations. I'm, I'm 37 years old. I graduated in 2002. And, and my generation, we had our own words. Like I was trying to think about some of them and a, a few of them came to mind. Uh, we had this word crunk. Do y'all remember the word crunk? Like if something was really banging, I don't know if banging is even a word anymore, but uh, it was like, man, that's crunk, you know? Uh, I remember at one time when you had jewelry on, it was bling. Do y'all remember bling? Yeah. I'm just trying to figure out what, what group of people I'm in with. Uh, we had this one word. I, I, it's, it had to be the dumbest word we ever had, but, but it was the word junt. Y'all remember that? And so it was like, like if, 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 this, if, if this food was good, it'd be like, man, that junt is good, you know what I mean? Or, or if like the song came on, you know, but man, that junt is crunk, you know, like, like no, all right, uh, no, okay, well, I loved it, okay, I'm, I'm having flashbacks for a moment, but I don't know what, you're groovy, maybe some of y'all's words, you know what I mean? <laughs> we got crunk, 
and we got groovy. I don't know what I don't know what words we have for you young folks today. But but they're they're dumber now than they've ever been. You know what I mean? Like now we have words that don't even mean. Like for example, I was with some friends and they have teenagers, and they taught me this. I've, I've shared this with you before. They taught me this may not even be cool anymore. But when somebody would say something, uh, you could point right here, and you'd be like ski, like you wouldn't even say a word. You just make a sound effect. You know what I mean? What is that? And then, then there was all cap, or no, I'm, I do it every time. What is it? Uh, no cap, no cap, which meant not every time I mess it up because I'm 37 years old. And so, uh, but, but there's this phrase that, that, that I hear young people using today. Uh, I sound so old. <laughs> I, feel, I hear young people using today, little whippersnappers. You know, pull your pants up, you know what I mean, that whole deal. Uh, but, but there's this phrase they use called try hard. Y'all heard this? They're talking about somebody, and they'll be like, man, they're a try-hard. And the definition of that is an individual who is inadequate in what they're trying to do, but they are trying very hard to do it anyway. And at some point, this became a negative phrase. Like, when they would call people a try-hard, it was, it was negative. Like, man, look, at she's a try-hard, or he's a try-hard. And I remember when I was growing up, trying wasn't necessarily a bad thing, Right? Like, like trying was, was that, like you were showing some initiative, you know what I mean? Like, like you're not good at it, but you're trying. <laughs> like, bless your heart. Like, I can't sing, but I'm trying to sing. Like, it, it was a good thing. But I, I, I think it becomes bad, watch this, when our trying gets in the way of us trusting. The moment that us trying replaces us trusting, trying becomes a hard thing or a bad thing. So let me go back to Matthew. This time we're going to go to chapter 4. Jesus has now entered the wilderness in the process of fixing to be tempted by the devil. And I want you to watch the very first thing that the devil does. Now remember, Jesus has just been told, you are my son whom I love and I'm well pleased. Jesus gets up, goes into the wilderness. And Matthew 4 uh, verse 1 says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Watch this. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That will be voted the most obvious scripture in the Bible, right? But then it goes on to say, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. God affirmed Jesus by saying, this is what? My son whom I love and with I'm well pleased. And the very first thing that Satan says to him when he enters into the wilderness is, if you are the son of God. The enemy wants to, to get Jesus to try and prove who he is instead of trusting who his father said he was. This is what religion will do. This is what a secular culture will do. This is what the enemy does all the time is to try to get you and I to prove who God already said we are. That we need to walk out and show that we're redeemed. Or we need to walk out and, and perform so that we'll be saved. The scripture already says you are a son and a daughter of the king. You don't have, there is no if you are the son of God or if you are a daughter of God. It's you are a child of the king. We don't have to do anything to try to pretend or perform. And when it comes to living up to who God said you are, the answer is not trying harder, it's trusting him. This past week, Darla and I got the opportunity to go to Memphis and, and let the, the grandkids or let the kids spend time with the grandparents, her, her parents, a little bit before school starts back and the schedule gets crazy. And 
Anytime we go to Memphis, I'll go to this YMCA and work out in Memphis, and it's a much smaller YMCA than ours in Rutherford County, or, or the one North Rutherford County. And so when you're in there, like, like, I mean, it's everybody who's in there, you're with them. You're working out with them. You know what I mean? And so I'm in there, and there was, there was me and two other people. There was a young man on the bench press, and there was an older man on the leg press, and I'm working out, and normally I'll have music or a sermon or something, but the Wi-Fi is bad because I'm in Millington, and they don't even have internet in Millington, and so, you know, the whole thing's messing up. Sorry, Travis. And so, you know, I'm trying to figure out this whole deal, and I get mad because I, I'm losing time waiting on this sermon to load, and so I just turn my phone off and put it up, and I just start working out in complete silence. And I've never done that before. My AirPods are in, but, but it's complete silence. And so I'm working out, and all of a sudden I hear, hey! And I'm like, you know, what? Is, like, is that the Holy Spirit? Hey! You know, I just hear this like, this like low, very low, to the point that had I had my headphones on, I would not have heard it. It's that low. And I just kind of glanced over to my right, and the young man who was on the bench press had lost control of the weights, and the whole thing was on his chest. And he's sitting there going, Hey, <laughs> right? Trying to get my attention. Like, hey, and, and, and the older guy, he's in the back facing that way, so he doesn't even see it. And so the second I realize, it takes me a minute to even put the dots together as to what's happening. And so, I, you know, I throw the weights down and I run over and me running gets the attention of the other guy. And he runs over and, we, you know, we lift the weights off the guy and put it back. And, you know, he's breathing and he gets up and, you know, we're like, you're right, you're right. So, yeah, I'm good. And then he says this. He says, I knew it was too much weight to hold. He said, but I was going to try anyway. Sometimes we have to understand that a work-based religion is too much weight for us to carry, but for some reason we want to try anyway. You know what I mean? Like, like this concept of us needing to try is only going to lead us to a place where we feel like we've let God down. Because when we're trying to read the Bible and we're trying to pray and we're trying to love people and we're trying and we're trying and we're trying, when we're doing it because we think it's what we do that determines who we are, when we're not doing it just so we can be in relationship with God, when it's not about having communion and time with him, but it's more about performance, eventually what happens is we get to a place where we fail, right? I'm trying to read the Bible, but I missed the reading this morning. Oh, I guess God hates me. I'm not going to read the Bible anymore. Oh, I'm trying to go to church, but I missed this Sunday, and now God hates me, so I'm not going to go to church anymore. Because anytime it's work-based salvation, anytime it's always about trying to be, there's going to be a moment where we mess up. It's going to be a moment where we miss the target. It's going to be a moment where what we wanted to do, we didn't quite do. And if we think it's what we do that determines how God sees who we are, then when we mess up, we start to think we've let God down. And when we think we've let God down, we just start, stop pursuing God altogether. But listen to me. We cannot let God down because we were never holding him up. It's important we understand that. Let me give you a little bit of an education here. Disappointment is when it's that space in between reality and expectation. So here's reality, what's happening. Here's what we expected. And in the middle of that lies disappointment. So therefore, if you take that definition, in order for you to let God down, you would have to do something that God didn't expect you to do. Does that make sense? In order for you to let God down, you would have to be ahead of God 
You would have to have plans better for your life than God and then not hit the target and God go, oh, man, I didn't think you would be able to, I, you know, you surprised me. And therefore, I'm disappointed. Let me put it like this. When Jesus called Peter to follow him, he knew Peter was going to deny him three times. The moment he asked Peter to follow him, the moment he asked Peter to get in the boat, the moment he asked him, he already knew he was going to let him down. God already knows every mistake we're going to make. God called us to follow him knowing every target we would miss. God called you son. He called you daughter. He loves you. He did all of these things knowing you would already make that wrong decision. According to the Bible, he died for you while you were still a sinner. Meaning he died for you knowing that you may not accept him to begin with but he still died for you. Because it's not about trying. It's about trusting. And I think it's important for us to get to a place where we stop trying and we rest in trust. And if I could, if I could just sum this whole sermon up into one sentence, it would be this. Some of you have been saying to God, or at least to yourself, God, I don't want to let you down. And your heavenly father says back to you, how could you? How could you? How could you let God down? If at your worst, he died for you, how could you let him down? So let's stop trying and let's just rest in the trust that we are who he says we are. That we are loved and we are redeemed. We are purposed that we are an heir, that we are forgiven, that we are blessed, that we're anointed and that we're reconciled. So this movie at the very end, they start showing these credits and it starts showing you all of Venus and Serena's accomplishments, therefore proving that everything their dad said they would be, they became. Greatest tennis players, greatest female tennis players, greatest athletes, you can see lists now all throughout, you know, different sports worlds that talk about the 10 greatest athletes. You're going to find them both there. And what I love about this movie is here's what you see. He always knew they would be it, but it wasn't until they believed it as well. All throughout Scripture, God affirms you, adores you, accepts you, approves of you. But until we accept it, until we believe it, until we walk in it, we won't actually see it. The Apostle Paul is writing to his mentoree, Timothy. It's recorded in the book, 2 Timothy. So this would have been like his second letter to Timothy. They took it, they made a book out of it. They put chapters and verses to it. And in chapter 2, verse 15, Paul tells Timothy this, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So many times this scripture is taken and it's presented as a work-based scripture. Work, work, do to then show that you are approved, right? Study for the big test, pass the big test and show that you are approved. But what Paul is saying to Timothy is this, read the scriptures, read the scriptures, study the scriptures, study the gospels. Study the life of Jesus. And as you study, watch this, you will see, it will show you that you are 
approved. All throughout the Bible, God's been trying to tell you it's not based off of what you do. It's based off of what he did. When I first got saved, I, I, didn't, I wasn't a big fan of Christian music, and somebody gave me this first Christian CD. It was by a band by the name of Casting Crowns. Shows you how old I am again. And there's this song, there's this line in the song that says, it's not because of what I've done, but it's because of who you are. It's not because of who I am, it's because of what you've done. That's the gospel. Listen to me. Gone are the days of fearing that we're going to fall short. Gone are the days of this anxious quest of, you know, having right behavior. Gone are the days of the nagging question, have I done enough or am I good enough? Gone is all this trying hard because we're trusting him. We can find true freedom. We can find self-confidence once we understand how our Heavenly Father views us. Once you believe that you are His child, and He loves you, and He's well-pleased. I want to share a quick story, and then we'll pray and close. If you're a part of Victory, you've heard me share this story before, but I don't know that there's a better explanation of God's love and grace and the way that He views you. And if you were to walk out of here today, I'd want you to remember two things. Number one, I want you to remember that every time you think God's, you're going to let God down, you need to hear the Heavenly Father say, how could you? How could you? Second is this story. It's a true story. This family took a young lady. They adopted her. She was eight years old. She had been previously adopted by a family, and for whatever reason, the family decided they no longer wanted to continue the relationship. So they, I don't know how that works, but they reneged on their Adoption, and so she was readopted by this new family. She's eight years old. And as she starts to get used to the family, they start to notice there's some, some hostility anytime she's linked to the idea of visiting Disney World. And so through a conversation, they find out that her previous family would go as a family to Disney World every year, but they never took her. They always took their family, their actual family. They never took her. They'd leave her home with another family member. So as you can imagine, she had kind of, you know, developed these hard feelings towards the idea of anybody going to Disney World. And so when the family found this out, the husband and wife kind of made up this decision. They were like, we're going to take her to Disney World. It's going to happen. The husband is a traveling speaker, and so he said, the next time that I'm working into that area, we're just going to make it a family trip. We're going to go to Disney. So sure enough, they got on the calendar, they scheduled it, they told it to the kids. And he says in this story that about a month leading up to the time they were going to leave for their trip, the daughter just started acting out. Just, he said she was lying more than she had ever lied. She was saying things to her uh, siblings, trying to get them in trouble. She was disrespectful. She started stealing stuff, started breaking stuff. He said she was just showing out. And so finally they sit her down and they started talking to her. And what she revealed is she always thought she didn't get to go to Disney World because of the way she behaved. And so naturally, when it came time for her to go to Disney, she got kind of in this panic mode that she wouldn't be good enough. So the first time she made a mistake, she just figured, throw your hands up in the air, I'm not going to go, I might as well just act crazy. And so she just went crazy, and the father's sitting there talking to her, and he said, I'm not going to lie to you. He said, at that very moment, I wanted to say to her, if you don't act right, you're not going to be able to go to Disney with us. 
He said, but it was the grace of God that allowed me to not do that. When I'm reading that story, I thought about every time I've ever told that to my kids. If you don't act right, you're not gonna. That's exactly what the young lady was fearing. But in that moment, God's grace allowed that dad to not say it. And he told her, he said, you know what? You're going to Disney no matter what because you're a part of this family. So the time came and they go on this trip. They go to Disney. First day, as you can imagine, it's the first time she's ever seen it. So she's seeing all the princesses. She's riding all the rides, everything for the very first time. They go all the way until the park closes. They see the fireworks. By the time they get back to their hotel room, they're exhausted. All the kids are falling out asleep. And the father makes it a point to go into the eight-year-old girl's bedroom to put her to bed. And before he puts her to bed, he says, I got to ask you, says, what was it like? How was, your, how was your first time at Disney World? She was like, oh, Dad, I, I loved it. It was awesome. And she just started talking about all the different things. And she said, but I'm, I'm exhausted. He said, I tell you what, I'm going to let you go to bed. He said, matter of fact, you hurry up and fall asleep because we got another great day at Disney World. So he gets up off her bed and he starts to head out the room. And she says, you know what, Dad? He says, what, babe? She said, I learned something today. He said, what did you learn? She said, I learned that I got to go to Disney World, not because I'm good, but because I'm yours. There's no better illustration of grace. There's no better illustration of his love for you we get to go to heaven not because we're good but because we're his he already said these things about you he already affirmed you he already called you he already saved you he already purposed you not because you're good but because you're his so if I could tell you anything this morning it would be to walk in that. Do me a favor, would you stand with me real quick? In a culture where you've been taught that what you do determines who you are, God would put all of this together, even use something like a movie like King Richard to show you God determined who you were long before you did anything. And that you're his son, that you're his daughter, that he loves you, not because you're good, but because you're his. So for those of you that need to be reminded of that, I remind you. For those of you that you've never given your heart to Jesus, you've never accepted him as your savior, what an opportunity to do today. I want to ask a couple prayer team members to come up I want to give you that opportunity today that if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, what an opportunity to do so. You want to be walked through that prayer? The Bible says you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, and you'll be saved. So it's just you believing in Jesus Christ, confessing that, that becomes salvation. And then he's walking this journey out with you. So I'm going to say a prayer over you. But if you're in this place and you would like to talk to somebody, you would like to be prayed for, you'd like to give your heart to Jesus, we'd love to help you with that. I'll come down here for a moment. We've got Miss Rosalind right here. But we just love that opportunity to pray with you.
Father, we thank you right now for your word. Thank you right now that even as the movie said, I don't want to let you down, Dad. How could you? For every person in this room that ever thought they've let you down, you're telling them right now, how could you? For every person in this room that thought they had to do something to be approved by you, who've been taught a work-based salvation, that they'd be set free this morning. That understand that they get heaven not because they're good, but because they're yours. Father, I love to preach your word, but I cannot change a life. And so right now, just let your Holy Spirit move in this place. Do whatever it can do. Speak to every person. Whether they come down for prayer, whether they don't, Father, just begin to work on their hearts. Whether it's transformation that happens right here or happens in the car on the way home, Father, work on their hearts. That they would understand that you are in the champion raising business. Speak right now to the person that has always been told there'll never be anything. Dad told him, mom told him, teachers told him, there'll never be anything. Father, your word says otherwise. They are an heir to your throne. They are redeemed, saved, set free, reconciled, purposed, empowered. They are a champion. Because you're in the champion raising business. Father, affirm that right now, I pray, in this place. Like only you can do. We give you all the praise. And we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.